0: Hello, welcome to another Rahalastapa, this week with the amazing Sindhu V, one of my absolute favourite stand-up. she's brilliant. Um, hope you're enjoying these remote records, we are carrying on and recording them most Wednesdays at 8pm, I've had a couple of weeks off. Um, coming up, uh, Michael, Ian Black and Stevie Martin, not that one. Uh, And we're very close to our 300th official episode as well, which we're doing something special for. Um, What else have I got to tell you, my fan friends? We've got a Kickstarter going for um, the Snooker podcast. It's a beautiful Punani sticker album. chance to collect all the stickers to swap. Um, And there's also lovely T-shirts and membership badges and all sorts of stuff. There's a couple of weeks to go. Just under now, and we're about halfway to the total. Started very strong, gone very quiet. It usually has a upswing at the end, but all the profits will go to Helping Live Comedy, so it's worth getting on board if you fancy it. Also, check out twitch.tv slash RK Herring. I do Ali and Herring's Twitch of Fun on... Thursday nights I do snooker on Monday nights usually and uh, there may be some other bits and pieces coming up and if you're with Amazon Prime you can link your Twitch and well Amazon Gaming I think it's called now and Prime accounts and give us free money at no cost to yourself. So have a look into that if you fancy that and do remember to come back and resubscribe if you've done it before. That's Pimpsy. You just click subscribe, click the right button and you're off. Um, anyway Lots of exciting stuff coming up very soon. My new book, Problem With Men, is also out soon. You can pre-order that at all your usual places. There's going to be a great audio book. We've got Deborah Francis White doing an exclusive podcast about the subject with me as well on that audio book. We're going to make it super good value for money. But you can buy the book, the ebook, or the audio book, or whatever you want, my fan friends. It's up to you. Now let's sit back, relax, and enjoy Rahalastapah with Sindhu V. gentlemen, please welcome a man who's traveling in time and space. It's Richard Herring. Hello. Hello, my fine friends. Look at me. Can you believe it? Welcome to Richard Herring's lovely shiny TARDIS podcast. Uh, I was I was hanging around. I was fighting the Sea Devils uh, this week. Um, they're not the best known of the Doctor Who monsters, but uh, that's what they look like there. H- how cool is this? How cool is this? Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, they made a big impression on me, the sea monsters, for some reason, when I was four, uh, especially a bit where Joe, the companion, was climbing through a lighthouse window and you saw a bum. That, I think that's why the sea devils uh, spoke to the four-year-old me. Anyway, the sea devils call it Rahalastapa, so there you go. And there is, it says the. How could... Do you like... What do you think about my TARDIS? That's right. That's what we've been spending your money on, a TARDIS. It's a real one um so anyway welcome uh it's great to be back it's not as hot this week people were worried i was going to melt but uh, i am absolutely fine uh and uh i want to tell you a couple of jokes my daughter's been doing um let's see if i can find them uh oh, hold on i to have to search for that one again because it's gone away um uh she's come up with a joke this is a this is a this is a joke she came up with recently we were on holiday and uh she passed a sign that said uh private, keep out. It was just the end of a drive to stop uh, tourists parking there. Um, My daughter said, what are you doing that's so private? Pooping, which I quite liked. Uh, And um, she wrote a joke yesterday uh, that goes like this. She's very proud of this one at bedtime. Knock, knock. Who's there? Gingerbread man. Gingerbread man who? He poos on the windowsill and says, ooh, what's that sweet smell? It's better than my stuff, I have to say. So uh, that's that's how that's Going down. Uh, I'm a bit worried about my material because uh, it's my first stand-up gig, live stand-up gig in a theatre on Sunday, for like me- probably a year, over a year actually, because I haven't been doing many actual gigs. But certainly since the last Uh I can show you a picture of it there. Uh, look, that's it's uh, the Clapham. Gre- Is that? Me? That looks like a C- that looks like a sea C- devil. Doesn't look at that. That's the same as a sea. C- Doesn't I don't look like that? Who's that? Strange, sud faced man um ridiculous uh, but I've made a decision over lockdown which I think I talked about uh, that I am not going to do any pre-virus material on stage again unless I end up doing an old show at some point in the future so all previous material will be wiped out and I'm going to do a brand new set on Sunday which I have to tell you I have not started writing yet uh, so it's great for me it's a wonderful clean sweep for me but if anyone is at that gig Ten minutes can be a very long time. It's going to be a very challenging. <laughs> I might bring Ali along. He's just here. Uh, hey, why not come along and see me tomorrow night in Lee- Ali and Herring's Twitchathon? Uh, that's uh, the other show I do. Um, and I should mention, just for the people watching this live, uh, we are doing a Kickstarter at the moment uh, for Stone Clearing. You can. Pay and get a witch's finger or a witch's dick from my actual field. That's the box that will come in. There's all (laughs) sorts of wonderful stuff. If you go to rehearser.co.uk slash Kickstarter, you can make a donation. If you've enjoyed all this free stuff over the summer and the hours and hours of stuff I've put out, even if you just want to put in a few quid, it would be really helpful. We're struggling a little bit. We've got uh, nine more days to hit hit the target, and uh, we're about... 35% 35% of the way there. So it's a, it's exciting times. I don't think we're going to make it, but you can prove me wrong if you like. And there will be a snooker one coming up soon as well if you if you prefer the snooker. Uh, and do remember to resubscribe on Twitch. If you're the Amazon Prime, you can subscribe on Twitch and do it for free. Numbers have dropped down quite a lot. So a lot of you, I hope the people who aren't doing it anymore are doing it with someone else and giving their money to someone else. It's £5 a month free to give to anyone on Twitch that you want to do. It'd be lovely if you did it. Oh, and it was Andrew Collins' day, of course, wasn't it? The A-level results came out. And I, I felt very bad for Andrew Collins because he is obsessed with the picture the next day when all the girls are jumping up in the air on the front page of the newspaper. That didn't happen this year because it was the A-levels were sad. So there was lots of pictures of sad students crying and stuff. And I thought, how is Andrew Collins going to get off the one day of the year that he enjoys? But then the results were changed and they sort of nearly, they showed girls looking happy. They weren't really jumping, though. I and mean, that's what he likes, so. We'll see. Anyway, right, let's crack on with our fantastic guest tonight. Uh, she's probably best known for playing the chemist's wife in Sick of It. That's why we're all here tonight to see the chemist's wife from Sick of It. Ladies and gentlemen, will you please welcome the amazing Sindhu V. There she is. She's not in a TARDIS.
1: No, I'm not in a TARDIS. I'm doing very well. I have been waiting for you to ask me to be on your podcast. So this is a real moment for me.
0: I asked you and you said you'd come on and then you pulled out. You were meant to be on on the same one as Richard E. Grant, who then, it was a cursed night that night because he didn't let us put the, his podcast out either. So oh, yeah. it's good to have you here. It's good to have you now. Uh, Delighted and, to be uh, here. I, you know, I, we were just talking about it before we uh, we w- went on air, but uh, I saw you very, uh, in a very early gig of yours where we did a charity gig together and was incredibly impressed. I thought you'd been going for ages. You were very assured and I thought, you know, death you see, I mean, you, you often don't remember uh, when you've, you know, five or six years later, you don't remember having seen people. But I completely remember meeting you. Know, I completely remember being very impressed by that set. And I can't believe that you weren't really even doing stand-up, like, full-time at that point, were you?
1: I think I just started making it full-time, but it wasn't anything close to what it became by 2017, 18. No, yeah. but it was just a – but I remember meeting you because I um, – uh, I had done a course, uh, Logan Murray's course, uh, on you know like how to hold a microphone and stuff. I didn't know anything, and since I had never seen live stand up before, I started doing it. I had a lot of catching up to do, and I remember there were various people in the room in our class, and they would all talk about different comedians you had to know. And you, of course, one of the names on my list in my notebook is Richard Herring. Of and so I and so that gig that you remember, which I remember very well. Um, as I mentioned to you earlier, was a gig where I thought uh, it wasn't. It wasn't like my usual gigs, where it's like, "Am I a comic?" It's like if I'm doing this gig, I'm a comic. I'm on with Richard Herring and a bunch of other people. I think Mae Martin was on that night, wasn't she? I
0: think so. It was Frankie? Was it Fra- I've got a few mixed up. Was Frankie yeah. Boyle on that night? No, I don't know if it was. No, it was. No, no, no I think no. it was the same venue. It was yeah, yeah, it
1: was the same. It was same venue. So no, it was a really. It was. It was a turning point for me, I think. To no, to be on the gig for it to have gone well and for you to have repeated one of my jokes back to me when I came backstage and I thought, right, I'm, n- you know, n- not imposter syndrome.
0: Yeah. Well, what I was impressed with then, and still am, and I know you're doing, uh, still doing material about this, was you were doing material about being a parent, which a lot of comedians are worried about doing, and uh, and some comedians, it's, it's easy to do slightly hack material about, it, and some audience, I think it's more, the hack, the more hack response, I think, is audiences don't like people talking about... The people who don't have kids don't like comedians talking about their kids and they think it's cliche, whereas I think that reaction's more cliche. And, you know, I like it when I go to see comedians who don't share my life experience, but some people don't. But I think it was it was, it was was very... Imp- as, as you've then gone on to show with what you've done since, but it was very impressive material that was honest about being a parent and uh, and certainly not not oh look at my kids aren't they wonderful which is what I think people are worried that comedians will do yeah about you, you know you've you've always done stuff uh, that uh, I mean it, it's wonderful because you're quite a, 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 sort of an waspish isn't the right word but you're quite cynical and uh, almost hard hearted about what you're saying but you're so charming that it comes across. <laughs> I think, but it's it's, that's what's nice about that. You really had that persona off so early, you know, you had this assurance on stage. But what's interesting about it, let's talk about it straight. What's, What's interesting about you is you came to stand up comedy not only quite late as uh, you were in your 40s when you started, but also you weren't really that interested in comedy before, so you didn't know much about stand-up before.
1: Well, I think this is the thing, is I had no academic interest in comedy. Um, I don't come from a country or a culture where we had – I didn't have access to stand-up. I'd seen a a DVD of Eddie Murphy, but I always was the person that would – laugh about the worst things not laugh at them but laugh through them and so I had a lot of I had a lot of organic interest in funniness over drama or or you know romance um, I was always the girl where you'd be in a really delicate moment with a boy and they'd say, could you stop laughing or could you stop telling a joke? And you'd be like, why not? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um, So, yeah, no, but I had absolutely no background in stand-up. And I for a long time I used to feel that I had no right to be in a room because I just didn't know so many facts. Yeah. You know, I, I remember one of the times an Italian friend of mine, she said something about Eddie Izzard. And I was like, who is that? And she said to me, Sindo, sendo. she couldn't take it seriously. She was like, you cannot do comedy. Sendo. And I was like, well, who? and then I went and Googled. And I mean, and I have no problem saying that because I think I I I was so riveted by wanting to be back on stage yeah, that I educated. It was like a turbo education I gave myself. I remember standing at the school gates but across the street from the other mothers so they wouldn't talk to me because I'd be watching clips of Billy Connolly on my phone. I literally, for those three years, I breathed and lived because I had so much catching up to do. And I think because I came at it with such um, fresh eyes.
0: Yeah, definitely. I never,
1: every gig at that time to me was like jumping into the abyss.
0: Sure. But I think that's it coming at it from a complete, you know, a lot of, what happens a lot and happened to me straight out of university decided to want to be a comedian, had no life experience of anything else and well-versed in how comedy works. So you end up churning out something that's to begin with similar to other people or similar to the people you've watched. So I think you've to start a having had a lot having lived a life having had jobs and having had a family you had something to talk about which as me uh, that's why when I started at 22 coming and doing live comedy in London I thought you know what the hell am I meant to talk about what what am I going to joke about who am I I didn't know any of those things for another 10 or 15 years um and so to you know I think just that very fact that you are coming at it from just like someone stepping from outside and going hey I'll give this a go 100%. Hundred percent. Not knowing what it is, even. I mean, I know I heard you talking about how you didn't know what you know any of the terminology, and so you didn't know what a no, set I, was.
1: No, I said to Lynn Parker, "Set of what?" At the funny women thing, and everyone laughed like it was a joke. But I'm old enough to know that I was like, "Oh, I better just roll with this." I one of the things I don't I I I, I practice. I really practice on. Um, I, I I practice uh, exterminating guilt and regret from my life. I fail every day, but I try. Right. One of the things I regret is I didn't come to comedy sooner because I would right. have had more time. Sure. I have this sense that I don't have as much time as people who started even in their thirties, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to talk myself off the ledge about that all the time. I often go to my husband, and he talks me off the ledge because I think he just thinks I cannot freaking and have this conversation again with her. Um, so yeah, I, I
0: think I say I think that you're wrong. I think you know I completely get it. I I had a big and I, I gave up doing stand up between in, between at twenty two and. 35 and I kind of regret it but I also don't regret it because I think I went and did other stuff and I kind of got an experience of who I was and I genuinely think what makes you extraordinary you know if you'd come in and it had taken you 10 years to work out what you wanted to do yeah that would be bad because you know then there's limited time left yeah but the ground running and we're great straight away so you know
1: but I often think of the lifestyle I could have had if I'd been in my twenties. You know, oh my god, all the partying with other comics, which I haven't really done because it's just so outside the realm of what's possible for me. And also, I think what I'm interested in now. I often think, oh my god, I would have probably been a train wreck. I would never have made it because I would have just gotten into the party lifestyle and then evaporated into the into the ether.
0: Yeah, no one invited me to those parties, so that's why I was all right. I think you brought what you know, obviously having had quite, you had a high powered job, you're an investment banker, right? So you had a, a high powered job and a well-paid job and you've seemed to have brought, I I think your family is very interesting. Your parents are very interesting in the way that they've pushed you and not cosseted you <laughs> and been quite rude to you. I think in a lot of the stories, I've if those stories are true, uh, but you know, you've, you've like, you were talking about just writing, making notes. You talk about having notes about all your gigs yeah. and you've, you've approached it as, you know, as a, job which is I think what again a lot of comedians don't do and 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 you've fast-tracked because you've learned so much so quickly but also you're learning all the time and I heard you talking to Stuart I know you're doing a podcast with him now Stuart Goldsmith and talking about you know working out exactly what you wanted to do and 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 wanting to get better and wanting to be seen as one of the best comedians and I think that's you know that's interesting I think again a younger person would be out partying Whereas an older person's going, okay, look, I'm. I need to get on with this. I've, I've got a family. I can't mess around. Well, that's it. Organize this, that's you know.
1: it. I just, I was, con- I was always aware that I couldn't wake up in the middle of the afternoon, you know, and I couldn't. I, I had to pack a lot in. I didn't really. Comedy is the only space um, that I've involved myself in that I haven't had a burning desire for a particular outcome, and part of that is because I thought, I can't do that again. Because comedy was in a lot of ways for me, it was like coming home. And I sensed that, but I couldn't quite grasp it the way I do now. And I didn't want to ruin it. And I think sometimes if you're very ambitious and if you can be quite a perfectionist, which are qualities that my parents really you know, ingrained in us, um, you can ruin things for you for yourself. And I didn't want to do that. I also had no I genuinely had no idea what a mark would be. Like, what would I want to do next, you know? Mm -hmm. I left Logan Murray's course thinking I'd like to get a 10-minute paid spot. That was it. If I could do that, then I had cracked comedy. Hey, I didn't know about other things, and I think I actively stayed away from it as well because partly because I didn't have a peer group. All my friends were civilians, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I also kept it secret for a very long time because, I mean, I just thought this is something I'm doing. And I, I think when you're a parent, you, a, a parent and a spouse and a daughter, and you come from a, maybe, maybe it's for everyone, but you know, you, you, you come from a very community oriented culture like I do. Very little is left for yourself. Mm-hmm. All your roles, they take something from you. But I had experienced a great deal of being for myself in the years that I had left India and I was studying abroad. I was, I was, a, I was a, I was a single unit, mm-hmm. and I remember how how much freedom I had, and I wanted. And in comedy, I experienced that freedom on stage, whether it was for five minutes or seven minutes. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't want to give it up. I don't even know if this this is making sense, but
0: no, it is. But I, I mean, I think you know that's that's why you're so unlike most comedians, which makes you absolutely fascinating to me. Um, but also, I mean, you're so, you're very. Driven. I mean, I, I've heard you talk about your mum taking you out of plays and stuff because you you have to do well in your exams. And you, yeah, th- yeah, and yeah. you were talking about before about your dad saying you could. not You got a job as a model, and your dad said you weren't allowed to be a model. And even for when you were an your your family was. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's not like just a model. It was like YSL saying, "Can we sign you for Paris?" And he was like, "Absolutely not. You've got to study."
0: Right. So you know, so you even as a young adult, your parents were dictating what you could and couldn't do. So you had this strict, fairly strict. Upbringing, obviously, a different culture. You've lived all over the world. First of all, you've been to four universities. I don't know if you've got four degrees, but you've got four. Yeah, I do have four,
1: four degrees. degrees. I do have four, four degrees.
0: degrees. So you're you're absolutely driven, and obviously your your parents with a bit of tough love, but uh, have sort of not not
1: unusual for India. Yeah. Not unusual no. for India. In fact, it was my parents' liberalism which was more unusual. Sure, the fact that they my father absolutely never put pressure on me to marry. He never put pressure on me to become a doctor or a mathematician. Or, And I was studying philosophy, which was unheard of. I remember my aunt saying, oh, psychology? It's like, no, philosophy. She was like, physiotherapy? Like, she couldn't even understand what philosophy was. My father was very liberal. My mother was, she was a very complicated character, but ultimately ex- very wedded to the idea of living life to the fullest, but within the confines of things that didn't look bad in the Indian context, like you, like you couldn't be unemployed or a spinster because that will be so much shame that I will wish I'm dead or I had no uterus to give you the birth. It's like, that's a lot of information when you're young. I, one of the first words I learned in English was uterus because my mother was constantly cursing her uterus for having spewed me out because I didn't get, you know, I didn't do this or didn't do that properly. But anyway, so I think it was actually their liberalism that I don't think they realized. I don't think they realized the effect it had on me. Uh, that it, there was always this thing in me that I, uh, that somewhere inside you could be all the things you wanted while also being quite mainstream, having the proper job, marrying the proper person, you know, blah blah blah. Yeah. blah. But um, comedy was such a place of play for me. And I think, you know, I had three children, and all of that's great, but I hankered after this moment, this sense of freedom. And also, the thing is, no one I knew went to comedy clubs where I was doing open mics. I could get up and say anything. And I realized that I had a lot to say, a lot to say. And I just I just really, you know, kicked off, and it was – I am forever grateful to comedy for giving me – there was just so much excess stuff. I was like – ah you know, and then um and then calmed down after a while. Started actually saying jokes as opposed to just blabbing at the audience.
0: <laughs> but so it did it partly come out you had this high powered job and you'd had kids and you had did you you had a sort of a bit of a breakdown mm. at that stage. Was it just the was it the pressure between family and work or was it
1: No, I think what it was was um I think I I wonder if I said this on Stu's Podcast I really didn't recognize how maternal I was. And by maternal, I mean, all. I didn't realize how much I cared about being around the children, around my child versus achieving some big goal. I just thought the big goals were the thing. You had a kid, you got a nanny, you went and you, you know, I just, it never occurred to me. And I think I I I refuse to accept that fundamentally I I wanted to be at home with my child, but that meant walking away from an entire identity that I'd built over many, many years. Sindhu, you know, achieving and going to Oxford, and then she becomes a banker. And how could she not be an MD and how could she not run her desk? I think there was a massive break within me uh, because I didn't want to give that up. And I think it's really about giving up your identity. I mean, my identity was not to be a housewife. That was just, th- th- also for my mother, you know, she was upset. She said to me, I, you, you've studied so much, you've done so well, just to be housewife? Because in India, feminism at that time was about women working and not staying home with their kids, whereas in the West they'd gone a bit further. Yeah. And it was like, you know, it, it, there was, having a child and raising your child is such a high Goal over here, you know. People are like, oh, the biggest job in the world is to be a mom. In India, there's a billion of us. No one thinks it's a big job. They're like, yet another child, you know. So it was all this stuff, and um, I think I think the idea of just being a mother, uh, really, it, it wreaked havoc within me about what I, what you know, what was I going to achieve? And so I think that was it. I think that was why I had a real moment. Like I went quite bananas. Yeah. Uh, but then you know when you have children, and of course some people can't help it. But I, I had to pick myself, up, pick myself up off the ground relatively quickly. Um, but it took me a long time to unpick that. I, I think not achieving marks I'd set for myself was a matter of great shame to me, and shame and guilt. You know these things they exist in the very dark recesses of our sense of self sure. and when they come into the light sometimes you're 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 not strong enough to face them is does that even make sense
0: i think it does it's just, you know it's sort of fascinating so that w- was the was comedy the way out of that was that no was, no, no. Com- that was that just came afterwards
1: it was 13 years i was at home with yeah. the kids and right, i yeah, you know and i and i and i and i, and I um uh, you know and then i was and then i was just a really good stay-at-home mom Nice. I I mean I wasn't that good because I didn't make like the cake for the fairs and I thought that stuff was ludicrous ludicrous this business of homemade cakes I wanted I was like are you joking are you Tesco has perfectly good cake I don't even know why I'm here making these cakes but I did become like you know I was co head of my kids school association where I basically told jokes all day I don't even know that I was co I was co head but the woman I was head with she was the head and. I was basically like the PR person. I just told jokes the whole time so we could get things through that the other mothers didn't really want. I just kind of lulled them into a sense of happiness by telling them jokes while Zina got everything else through. <laughs> like Christmas lights. How much is the budget for Christmas lights? I remember that. No, no, comedy, comedy was absolutely not um, anything. It didn't rescue me at the time that this stuff was very you know, uh, acute. But I think... I, 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 to be honest, and this is going to sound ludicrous. I haven't worked it out. I haven't worked it out. I, I, I don't know where comedy came from. I mean, I know the, the, the steps, but the way it landed, it was like, I was just overjoyed that it had found me yeah. and I had absolutely no big goals. I just wanted to go out and gig. That's literally all I wanted and that's still all I really want. You know, yeah. uh, a friend of mine, she said to me last year, she said, you know what makes me crazy? And she was a banker with me. She said, if this thing went back to zero and you went out to gig for free, you'd still do it. I said, I would. And I'm very lucky that I can say that. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: But I think most comedians would, and certainly now most comedians would yeah. gig for free if they could get back and do gigs. Um but you know, that it is it's 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 just fascinates me that you could, that, that could have happened. I mean, you know, you it's it's just your your brain is a very interesting thing and the way the way that you've come to these decisions and and all the things you've done in your life. I mean you speak a lot of loud I've seen you doing bilingual stand up then I am so, bilingual of course but you're more than but you speak Danish as well so I understand
1: Danish I don't I don't I don't speak Danish as well as I would like to I did do a course at some point when it was in the middle of the be at home mom thing um but then I was like oh you know do I really need to know that much like everyone you know whatever or I got bored or I don't know I mean I I didn't stick with it but I can understand enough
0: Yeah, Um, because your husband's Danish. mm -hmm. Do do your kids speak Danish? No, he never talked
1: to them in Danish. So I don't know, you know, they they don't speak Danish. But um, I think think the important thing for me with comedy was, um, I don't think at my age with three kids, I even understood how much more there was for me to experience. Mm -hmm. And comedy was like, no, you're not done yet. In fact, you're not done at all. Because if you ask me now, I would give up all the banking and everything and go straight back and have gone to, here's the thing, I could have gone to Oxford, which was a huge thing for me because it was a big deal. I mean, it's a great university and I got a scholarship and, you know, and all that. And I would have somehow met someone who did stand up and just stepped off the ledge and that would have been it and I'd have been totally happy. My parents probably would have not been happy, but I would but have. You
0: didn't do any comedy at university. I, you know, I, I, we met Stuart at Oxford, and we we would do sketches. I didn't know it was, was
1: a thing. There. I didn't know and a you thing. were only
0: there a few years after. So we, I left in eighty nine, and you went uh, in, in ninety one.
1: Yeah, but so, I think yeah. the thing is this: what happened was this is that I came from a country where we'd never seen stand up. I was on a scholarship, and I don't know if you remember the kids that came on scholarship. Of course, the Rhodes Scholars, you know, they had a lot of money. But we had a limited amount of money. And immediately that I started doing philosophy, I thought, oh God, I've got to do more of this. So my plan was, how will I fund it? And so I began applying to American schools. It was all about staying afloat. Mm-hmm. And also I'd never studied philosophy, but I fell in love with it and I didn't want to do the economics. I was doing PPE. Okay. I didn't want to do the economics. And my father was like, you have to do economics. And then he didn't talk to me for a while because I wanted, so I did more courses in philosophy. Um and it, I played basketball for the university. I rode for my college. It was a time of my brain exploded. I, I I can't describe it any other way. And I was supposed to go home and get married, but I thought I don't want to get married right now. I've got I mean, first of all, I've got just I'd like to sleep with some more people than just the guy I marry. So that's got, that was part of the, it was a huge part of my plan. In fact, my friends make fun of me now. They say used to always walk up to us and say, hi, my name is Sindhu. Do you have a boyfriend? And how did you get a boyfriend? They were like, what are you talking about? Oh, mortifying. But um, I had a lot I had to pack in into the two years that I was away from home. Um, and so I didn't. I mean, the comedy, drama, all that stuff was just. Also, I, it, had been, it had been drummed into me that that's not what you did if you were serious, if you were a serious student. And so I just didn't even look. Sports was fine. So I played basketball for Oxford because I, I, I loved sport, you know, and I, I played for them and I rode for my college, which was the worst rowing team because we were all not from the UK except our Cox, And she was always like, why do you guys not, we didn't know what, why just was, we're all paddling like lunatics and just into the side of the, the Sharwell and just stayed our, our boat would just be perpendicular to the, to the bank. And she'd be almost in tears every time. Um, but yeah, so I think I think for me there was no scope; there was not an inch of surplus that I could have devoted to something so outside my conscience mm-hmm. as uh, comedy.
0: Sure. So no, it's 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 fascinating stuff. Um, let's talk about your your, your stage name is Sindhu V. Yeah, your real name. Go
1: ahead, say it, go ahead, go ahead, go
0: ahead. I've got it written down. I'm sure I, I've practiced, but I'm still going to get it on. Sindhu is still your real name. Sindhu that's is good. my real name. Uh it's a 16 letter word. It's
1: a good, that's a great, is That's that okay? yeah, it's Venkat but that's great. And I just, I I remember very clearly in Logan Murray's class talking to Sam Deard and Bisha Ali and saying, well, I can't call myself Sindhu Venkat So they were like, mm, no. And then my very, very close friend from high school, who is still a very dear friend of mine, she used to call me Sindhu V. It was like a teenage girl thing. She would say Sindhu V, and she would roll her eyes. So I thought it was Sindhu V. So I got on, and then I was not on Facebook. And they were like, well, you need to be on Facebook because that's how you find out about gigs. So I was like, oh, okay. And so Facebook wouldn't let me use an initial. Okay. So I was like V, okay, V-E-E. That's it. Yeah. Sindhu V. I
0: mean, it is, you know, it's difficult to... Put that up on it on a, in a bill that would it'd be, you'd be in very small letters if you'd gone for a sixteen letter. No, plus
1: who would seven. ever call me on stage? I wouldn't get even an open mic spot. No matter going, Please welcome to Sindhu Venkatnarayan. Even Indians can't say it. Yeah. No, 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 no need.
0: I fancy. I, w- I wish I'd done it. I'd Richard H, but it's not H is almost as long as my actual name.
1: Yeah, and also H. What would that be E H? And then it'd be like yeah. Richard
0: Eh. Well, it's, there's also H from Steps. But I realise he calls himself H, not H. He should be called H. He Plus, calls also, H.
1: if you're living in England or the UK and your name is Richard Herring, why are you trying to change? Like,
0: what's get it shorter? Just shorten it because the shorter- Richard, Richard Herring, Richard Herring's quite a long name. So, Richard like, that's I should be Rich, Rich H, Rich H. That's what I'm about. Rich H,
1: H or it. Herr Richard, <laughs> It's Her German, Richard. but anyway, Eddie
0: Eddie I. Eddie E, I. <laughs> Eddie, I. Eddie, I. Eddie I. Peter K. He was probably Peter, he probably Pete- had a 16-letter name.
1: Yeah, he's probably. Peter Katamuttaparti and we don't even know it. We just think he's Peter K. Yeah.
0: I think it's a good I think it's a good thing to do. I think it's good to try and but it is a really a bit Sindhu V is a very good showbiz name. Yeah. And yeah, the full thing is probably it's a, it's a, it's long even for an indian name right it's oh, not
1: that well huge. it's it's long for a north indian name it's okay. it's sort of a it's not even that unusual but it's quite unusual for a south indian name but south indian names i mean my one uncle is bala my uncle mother uncle is Vishwanathan. you know so it, it's fine in in south india it's fine venkat narayan is uh not unusual for its length it's unusual as a name but it, you know it's it's it, i've lived in the philippines as a child Man, i had to deal with venkat narayan my whole life i was like oh boy but uh, it's very much part of my identity to have a name that stops people in their tracks.
0: Sure. Did your family was that was that an issue for them changing the name or do they did they not mind about it? Is it because it's
1: Because I call didn't... myself Sinduvi? Yeah. No, 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 no. My parents only questioned things I did up until I had children. Okay. They were like you got married, you got a decent you got a decent job, you got married, you've got kids, we really couldn't care less at this point. Plus also I think they they, I think my my mother understood what comedy meant to me. She didn't necessarily get into whether I should be a success at it. My father thought it was some kind of indulgence hobby thing,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: which I don't think he's really changed his mind much since then. But my mother understood what it meant to me. And I started having these dreams after like in 2017, 20, yeah, 2018, I took my debut hour. So 2017, after I did my 40 minutes in Edinburgh, I started having these dreams, and I'm dressed in my in a nightdress, and I'm telling these jokes. And I used to, I, because I spoke to my mother very often. I would call I called her and said I'm having these dreams, and she said it's not a dream, it's the truth. And I said, what do you mean? And she recounted to me that as a very young child, I would gate crash their dinner parties in my night suit and try and basically corral adults into a corner and start telling them jokes. But it was difficult because I had a very severe stammer. So it was painful for everybody except me. (laughs) A four-year-old with a terrible stammer and a bad joke. And my mother said, you know, she said, we used to tell you, we'll punish you, we'll do this. You You were unstoppable. And she said to me in 2018, she said, what I understand now is that there's some things you can't keep down you always wanted to tell people jokes and now you're doing it and I'm very happy for you <laughs> and she said to me once because I think you are in self-actualizing and I was like that's deep man that's deep but and and but she was a therapist so she, you know she every once in a while came up with a term that I didn't disagree with because she was also a therapist with a real twist of like she's completely nuts I, I, I used to say to her if you did therapy in the West you'd be in jail and she said, I know, because she would constantly, like I would come back on holiday and she would say, you know that Mrs. Vadva, her daughter-in-law, she's a drug addict. And I'm like, why are you, tell? where is the confidentiality? She would say, yeah, but you are not going to tell anybody. And I'm like, oh my God, I just tell her, you'll be in jail. And she would say, but that's why I'm not practicing in Western world. Anyway, uh, but she was a very, very good therapist. She actually helped a lot of people. So yeah, so self actualizing. You know, I yeah. mean, I don't want
0: to. I think it's interesting that you know. I think I was the same. Maybe my daughter's the same. My daughter's very fascinated with jokes already, even though she doesn't fully understand them. But I was a- absolutely obsessed with with <laughs> comedy from the age of three or four. Anyone who made me laugh, any joke, even if I didn't understand it. I was dissecting it w- remembering it and then understanding it 5 years later. Yeah and, uh, and you know so yeah it's obviously something in there that makes you want to perform.
1: Yeah and one of the worst it. things I I remember as a child was if we were in a group of kids and someone said something and then I didn't get it and someone said you didn't get the joke it was devastating for me. If they could have insulted me in any other way, and I wouldn't have felt it wasn't even an insult. They were just informing me that I had not understood the joke. But the yeah. kind of otherness I felt, and I think that might have also been because I think at a very young age I thought I should be in charge of the jokes here. I think I had that feeling. But when you're a kid with a stammer, no kid is giving you any leeway. They just don't want to know.
0: No, you know. And how, I think how would it take to, to, to get over the stammer?
1: I got it when I was about five or six um, because we left India and we left my Aya behind, which they didn't tell her or me that they were going to do that. I developed a stammer very quickly within a week and somehow no one decided to do anything about it. But anyway, and then I started to work on it myself when, I was, when we moved back to India. So I was about 11. And then by 13, it was almost, it was quite manageable. And then after that, it was only... There was moments in Oxford where I could see words coming towards me and I would think, oh, I'm going to stutter. So I, But I had a way because I had figured out by then that I always stammered by the end of it on words that started with a vowel. So I had built up my vocabulary in my early teens. So I would just dodge those words. And I had this thing of, I would be talking to you, but I could see certain words coming. Yeah. And it was this very, it was very stressful, but I I just didn't show it, I guess. You know, um, children are incredible that way. My gosh.
0: Yeah, but it sounds like you know, obviously, because yeah, you did move around a lot as a kid and you were in different schools. Oh yeah, we talking, so talking beforehand about you being bullied at one uh, boarding school you were out for uh, in big shortly. time.
1: I I can't uh, think of a, any school I wasn't bullied until I was fifteen because I was always the new kid, and then I had a stammer, and then I had this weird food that none of the other kids at the American school had. I was constantly bullied, constantly. Yeah.
0: And so, because that's, you know, that's where people... So what I find interesting is, A, before all that, you were interested in jokes. So it sort of puts a lie to that idea that comedians become comedians because they're bullied or because they have a tough time. But there is that feeling that if, you know, uh, kids who've been through sort of any, any sort of difficult experience are more likely to be comedians, people who've got authority figure parents... That are more like to be comedians i think it's sort of there's some correlation yeah
1: no for sure I mean I think i one of the ways in which i uh came up in the pecking order at different schools uh, along different dimensions was to be the one that made everyone laugh and so i kind of yeah. was under the radar you know uh, but I always hung out with the nerds and the geeks because i was kind of like that but uh which i think is interesting because i when I came to England from India, I was not perceived in any way as a nerd or a geek. Right. You know, suddenly everyone was like, oh, you know, I was like this tall Indian and Indian woman. And, uh, you know, and and I remember listening to people and thinking, who are they talking about? Because in India, neither my height nor my looks was ever anything to be proud of. Um, and I was always, you know, and I was, it was just such a huge mind. Um, can I swear on this show? Yeah,
0: absolutely. it was a
1: mind fuck like okay. no other. Um, but, and I don't think I've ever taken on that. I've never absorbed it. You know, I always, I was still yeah. on the outside looking in, thinking.
0: Well, that's, you know, again, from the other conversations I've heard you having, you know, your your mum would consider you not to be attractive. And no, not, no, not ugly, beautiful. straight up ugly,
1: straight up ugly. What do you mean not beautiful? I once said to her in 2004, we were on the Eurostar. I said to her, why did you tell me every day I was ugly? She said, oh, because it's what I thought. I'm like, how... How is that possible? She said, I love you and you are a great child, but you in my eyes, you are a very ugly child, you know. And I was like, Good grief, but she was so honest about it because she came from the north where fair skin is at a premium and petite girls, I'm five ten and dark. And then she said, Plus, you know, you look like your father, and you know, some I really don't like him. God, but,
0: but it's she, like you know. Obviously, I mean, you a that you, you were picked out to be a model, and then not allowed to be a model. But you did model briefly, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So
0: you clearly were a very attractive and are a very attractive woman, yeah. So but we, you
1: just don't absorb it, you know, if no. it's not the voice in your head. But now I've learned to sort of, I don't know, I don't know if I've learned it, but I've just sort of, I'm still trying to figure. I, I'm still trying to have a benchmark of what I'm like, right. which is neither this nor that, and I just think. I think when I'm doing comedy, when I'm on stage, then I'm just my words and my, and the, and the hopefully the laughter. And that's just to me so freeing.
0: Yeah. Um, because you've been battered, your life has battered you around. You've been knocked back, stuttering, moving around, your mum telling you you're ugly. I mean, it's <laughs> great training to be a comedian, but it's not. I, I feel, yeah. I mean, because you're so confident and you're so, you know, that's your persona on stage is so grounded and, you know, you, you, you do belong, you know, and that's why even in that first gig, I saw you absolutely completely belong there. You love it. And that's a very difficult thing to go. So you're so confident. So it's so weird to me that you had this, you know, this very disruptive, at least upbringing.
1: Yeah, I did. I did. I did have a disruptive upbringing. The one thing I'll say in my, for my parents, and I think a lot about this now um, that my kids are older, my parents were very clear on who they were and they were in a quiet way very self assured so when we were in outside of india etc my father did his prayers in the morning he wore his this ash over here and he went whether it was the world bank or the adb he was very clear who he was and it was a quiet self assurance that comes from knowing who you are and my mother was the same probably not to the same degree but she was very similar she came from a very patriarchal feudal family landowners so there was a lot of rustic wisdom in her that she held on to. I think that that was transmitted to me. So even if I'm failing at something, or if I'm feeling ugly, or if I'm feeling inept, somewhere inside, there's a few things that I know I am, whether that's, it's hard to explain. It's like, there's these things I think, no, this is not going to change. This is Key to who I am. I think part of that is language, part of that is culture, part of that is that I'm a Hindu, and I think that's been very important because this whole issue of identity has not really shaken me much. Mm-hmm. And I and I look at my children. My children are Danish, Indian, born in the UK. I mean, they're pretty much English. Just you know, my son is uh, regularly calls me mate and bruv and fam and um, and just today we were talking about something, and you can see that he that he he feels very English, mm-hmm. and I. I, I think about that. I think you know, my parents had very consistent ways in which they could be themselves, whereas I'm quite a mishmash. But I'm hoping that there's, a, you know, that they have that I have somehow unwittingly transmitted something to them that they can hold on to, because I think that's what's very important: is that who am I? There's got to be some place where the, the there's a floor. So you don't fall below that floor, you know.
0: Sure, and it seems from your act, you're quite a harsh mother yourself, anyway. That you are ah tough, you're harsh, not, you don't harsh tough and much.
1: tough are two different things. I mean, yeah, no, really I'm not. also harsh, but I'm yeah. more tough than I am harsh.
0: Well, you're doing a podcast with uh, with uh, uh, Stuart do. Goldsmith about called Child, Char- the Child Labour Podcast, which is about where you talk to um, various other comedians about being a parents and the the, the, the difficult. Yeah, you're going
1: to be on soon, and uh, you'll find out.
0: Uh, well, Beyond, but it's but the difference between you and Stuart who's a very you know woolly, liberal, very nice, gent father, I'm sure, but very different to to your your take on that.
1: I know, right? He's I mean, my question to him is why do you want your kids to like you? I don't even understand what's that impulse. So I think that's why the podcast, actually, that's where he, you know, he had the idea. And I think the idea was just I think parenting comes in so many different shapes and sizes, but also the podcast a lot about how we were parented. Yeah, and how our guests were parented because I think parenting, whether you want to accept it or not, is part of a circle. You know, um, no, I'm a very tough parent by Western standards. All right, I mean, let's be honest, not by my mother's standards, but by Western standards, I am. A, I don't have. I have. I typically don't have a lot of regrets about being tough. I probably have some regrets sometimes about being very critical because my parents were very critical with me, but I but it was a consistent micro environment. You know, you went to school and everyone's parents had been tough on them. Sure. But here you go to school and you're the only person whose mother has said something psychotic about her uterus that morning. It's, it can be a little bit disorienting for the children. Um, so sometimes I, you know, and in, and in those instances, I go back and spoken to my kid and said, oh, that wasn't very cool of me or whatever. But because I'm close to my parents, they've seen my parents with me my parents are, by the way, wonderful to them, but just very so tough. So that's, that's the way it's,
0: that's all that's, that's, that thing is the world over typical that you're, however strict your parents are, when they, when you have grandchildren, they will spoil the grandchildren away. I, I remember, yeah,
1: and I said to my mother once, I said, how come you're so nice to them? She said, you know why I'm nice to them? Because first, they are so beautiful and fair. <laughs> I'm like, they are white, they are half white. And second, they are gentle and sweet children and so lovely, not like you, disgusting. I was like, okay.
0: <laughs> I think you're probably a little bit of a handful. I think you're very you're a spirited and free spirit. I think, aren't you? As a, and I can imagine you were as a as a young woman. I'm sure you were. You had your moments, but I think you also you you did obey them. You know, you did. I did. did I did so much. No, I have so. an
1: elder sister who did all the rebelling. Right. So the job of being the non-rebellious one was on me. I think I was the sibling who probably got away with more because I just learned to not let my parents know. But I was very obedient, and I think. I think I was obedient to a fault. Um, my biggest fear was I would disappoint them. I would make them sad because they were already dealing with my sister who was older and very rebellious. And I think I just thought, Ugh, I can't add to that. But then, of course, you know, I mean, I say that, but then I left the continent so I could get on with leading my life the way I wanted, more or less, you know. And I didn't want to disappoint them. And I still don't. I still I. I struggle with that sometimes but I think now it's fine like I said I had the kids and then they were like fine 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 do what you want and my mother used to say to me I sometimes I'm worried that you will divorce your husband he's such a lovely gem but you can be quite a bitch so I was like okay this if if I do it's not and I'm I'm," I said you know what even if it disappoints you I'm gonna do it
0: maybe if I have to and she used to say
1: yeah one cannot be perfect (laughs) she used to feel sad about that
0: (laughs) Right, let me ask you some emergency questions. I want to ask you, we did, ghosts came up in the pre-interview. I want to ask you if you've ever seen a ghost.
1: I think I have, but it might just have been that I imagined it.
0: Yeah, well, you definitely imagined it, but go ahead.
1: You know, after my Aya passed away, I, I used to see her in my balcony all the time. And I was never afraid because she literally used to take, she started with us when I was three weeks old. And then we had a hiatus when we were away. And then we came back to India and she joined. And I would see her drying my clothes on a line. And I was 18, 19. And I thought, that's crazy. I was never scared, but I was like, that's weird. And then one day my mother said to me, she was making South Indian coffee, I remember, which you cool like this. And she said, I'm going to ask you something. I don't want you to get freaked out. I've been seeing Amma all over the house. Have you? And I was like, I have, and she said, "I feel like you might be holding something of hers." And I had the nose thing of hers, you know. And I was like, "No, I haven't." So she said, "Oh, we have to get the priests in." So they got some priests, and they did all these prayers in the house. It's called a havan. It's like a big fire, and and then she and then and then Amai never saw her again. But when my mother said it, I was like. Oh, but I wasn't that is scared. Weird. That it's but a bit then weird. she was
0: obviously happy to be there. Why did do you, you don't have to get rid of her? She was I didn't really around. have a
1: choice. Mummy was because in because in Hinduism we want the soul to be free, to go to the next world and the next world. You don't want to hold on to them. Because they've got a journey. They've got to go do their journey and then we have to come back. You know us, we're like in a loop here. Yeah. So we're always once someone passes away, all your prayers and all your wishes are for them to have a peaceful onward journey. Because they have to go through many, many worlds, and they have a lot of karma to deal with.
0: I don't fancy that. I don't fancy going through all those I hope you're not right because I don't fa... – I... this one's been enough. Yeah, I, no, get... I, I know, I know. Get... I'd like to stay here for a bit longer. I'd like to get to the end of this one and then, and then just, you know, What's,
1: just What swashed. is that? That's it, then you're I gone want to go, forever?
0: I want to go into an... Oh, here you are in another world. Oh, thanks. You don't more. want
1: to come back, I Richard?
0: Into... I don't want to come back, now. Oh. What am I going to come back as? Am I coming back as like a – rabbit or something or will i
1: really depends on your own actions i mean i can't well, I've
0: been me. really bad so i'm going to come back as something rubbish so i definitely don't want to come back that's not fair and then when i am a, have a comeback as a rat how do i behave well as a rat to be to bump up to the next level no rats never behave well so not I'm to stuck you
1: not to you but in the rat world they have well, their I'd own
0: bad rat i'd be a, a, well how do you <laughs> how are you a bad rat what do you do? What do you do? Refuse to eat feces? Well,
1: I think you'd only know that once you were the rat. I don't. You'd think, be there, and they go right. I, well, I don't think we can say what bad and good rats are doing. They, it's only reactive for us, isn't it? Yeah.
0: What if I prefer being a rat to being a person and decide to stay as the rat? Well, then I have to be a bit naughty in order to keep coming back be, as a rat. I just have to stay exactly. Sort of ambivalent. I can't be too good or too bad because if I'm bad, I'll come back something worse than a rat, like a dung bee or something, slug. If I'm too good, I'll be a a hamster next. Probably that's better than being a rat in it. Well, I think rats
1: are more free. Hamsters, some kid's going to have sticky fingers around you all the time. You
0: get all your food laid on, little wheel. That's better than being a rat.
1: Hamsters on the wheel are happy. They're crazy. But anyway, having said that, I don't think the theory of karma works quite one to one like this okay so but i i mean
0: i mean you're more of an expert on it than me i uh, I mean yeah i
1: i mean i don't even know i don't even know i mean i know i'm coming back i just try and keep my actions and my intentions in a space where i think i'll i hope it's let's see
0: so, but then it, then it's on to a higher plane, is it? Next, once you've been a human, if you're good, you go on to being
1: no, not if you're good, a
0: better human.
1: no, not if good is not what counts. I mean, to be outside the cycle of birth and rebirth, you have to be like the Buddha. Okay. I, mean, for, I mean, for one thing, I can't be sitting here drinking whiskey all the time, can I? That's
0: not gonna so, happen. you're a stand up comedian, you're screwed. I am,
1: Absolutely. it's very
0: interesting. Well, you know, that is a, That's a good ghost story, I have to admit, but um, yeah, yeah. okay, I'll ask, you, I'll ask you another emergency. Okay, question. ask me. It's going to be it's going to be random. Oh no, it won't be random. I tell you what I'm going to ask you is if you could have because you're a very educated person, so this should be interesting. If you if all the if all the museums and art galleries in the world got together and said we love you, you can have one item from any of our museums or art galleries. So it could be a painting or a historical. Uh,
1: Kohinoor diamond. I like it back, please. Okay,
0: yeah, that's yeah, a good choice. There you go. That's what I'd want. I don't want the I don't want the big hat and all. I just want no. the diamond and take it and keep it for yourself or, or repatriate it
1: no i'd like to keep it <laughs> what, what do you mean
0: <laughs> would you keep it and sell cuz it's not much use as you could keep it you could sell it and then have all the money which would be or would you just like to no
1: look i it would keep it. it first and then apparently yeah. it's not great luck so i would keep it first and then yeah. if you really want to know what i would do with it i would keep it i would charge people money to see it for a while and I would put that money into a fund for girls' education in rural India. I'm not even joking. That's something I've always I've always thought if I ever make a, you know, if comedy ever gets me to a place where, I mean, I already do a little bit, but I really want to do that because I think educating girls is literally amazing. My mother would not have been a therapist, you know, and would not have been the mother she was to me if her mother hadn't said, "I really should get my daughters to school rather than get them married off at thirteen. But quite apart from the noble thing, then what I would do is I would send it back to India where we're not great with keeping our artifacts very well. We, you know, we don't, we're very busy with taking care of a billion people. Then I would find a way to preserve it and keep it so that, you know, people could see it, but it would at least be back home. And in fact, I think it's from Persia originally. So there'd probably be a fight there, but you know, I don't really want to fight with the Ayatollahs. I think they're quite probably
0: like a dinosaur or something in the past when it's a piece of carbon yeah. that's been squashed up so you know it, it ownership becomes very difficult yeah but i would make sure back.
1: that that we kept it in in india but it was kept in a way that lots of people could see it because really the kohinoor thing really pisses me off yeah it does and, it, and also it's in that like crown it's like come on man every time my kids go to this what is it called the london the tower of london it's, of london. it's, it's there and i'm like it's not even theirs and they're like, they always think I'm ranting about that kind of stuff.
0: Well, everything we've got in this country doesn't really belong to us. Well,
1: not everything, but...
0: Nearly everything.
1: Some things. Not, not... You know what? I always find this idea that the British Museum is just full of stuff from outside. That's not true. A lot of it, but not all of it.
0: Do you know what I mean? <laughs> the bo- there's the bloke, the bog body. He was, he was English. The, the, Pete Marsh. There you go. The bog body. He was English. But, you know, he's just a bit of... <laughs> PT man, isn't he? That's not worth anything. I'd, I'd, I'd give 500 quid for it. I'd like to have him in my house. That's one of the things I like in the British <laughs> Museum. I, I love the British Museum. It's nice to see all that stuff, but it's, I, you know, I can understand why people are
1: annoyed yeah, And I more mean,
0: the, the Tower of London, they make you go, if you've been, they make you go past the London. So when you get to the really good stuff, the literal crown jewels, mm-hmm. You're on, a little, you're on a little conveyor belt, so you can't even stop and look at it. It's going so to make sure you're not I've everyone never been because up. I'm so
1: upset about the thing. You're upset about it. I've, yeah. I've never gone. I mean, I know I've, like you say, oh, you're very educated. I could have come up with something, but it's the first thing.
0: Yeah. If no, it's, it's the good. museums it's, in the it's, UK. It's, I was like, good. just
1: can we have the diamond back?
0: I mean, if you sold it, you could probably educate every female child in the world for about 100 years. I but, think but it must the, be worth worthwhile. But the a thing is, money. if you
1: would sell it, who would you sell it to? Some billionaire? In... Hand it back to the queen. No, thank you. I would, I would, I would never want to get rid of it. So I would like get people to see it, and with that money, I would fund yeah. these schools. I think um, it's, but-
0: nice. it's a good idea. We could try and uh, steal it. Do you fancy doing a heist? It was stolen once by Captain Blood, I think was his name, wasn't it? And also, didn't Mister Bean, Bean try to sell it?
1: Didn't Mister Bean try to take it? I think he did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> did he succeed i didn't i haven't uh, seen the mr bean
1: uh, it's unclear i think it was mr bean when he was he was either I trying to stop it real, he was trying to stop the real it one anything. hidden away they yeah yeah, of yeah yeah of course I
0: of think course they've got a fake one up there so you'd steal it and get it back and just find it was a bit of glass exactly
1: anyway. no but if i had the option i'd take the real one yeah yeah
0: that's good that's a good choice and uh and very noble indeed and i i hope you get it i hope society breaks down you nip in there nick it then society comes back up again. That, and
1: we can educate those girls.
0: Yeah, um, my wife um, eats soft boiled eggs in a way that I find uh, abhorrent. Um, I just wonder sort if of, do you ever eat soft boiled eggs? Do you have a like soft-boiled a boiled eggs? Yeah. How do you, how do you open the soft boiled eggs?
1: Well, this is an important thing because if you if you how soft boiled like fully soft boiled, well, you know, so you're
0: dipping soldiers in it.
1: Oh, yeah, well the clear thing is you've got to wait after they're boiled. Otherwise the white stuff comes off with the skin and there's yeah, that membranous that. gunk and that's just horrible. Um so what I do is I wait a bit and then I crack it with a teaspoon and then I peel off the the <sighs> the, the the shell and then I take a little bit of the tip off, but not all of it, so I can't see the yellow yet. Okay. And then I I'm use not a happy. teaspoon.
0: I'm not happy, Sindhu.
1: What did you want me to do with it?
0: That's the wrong way to open. That's the way my wife opens. She sends a love. By the way, She's, oh yes, uh, you you did a drunk them You did a uh, oh, that guilty was so, feminist. I got, I got
1: properly, I got properly drunk you on did. that.
0: Oh. You did. I listened. To it. it was terrific, and we're um, we we're quite surprised that uh, my wife that she was, was married to me. I
1: know. I kept saying it. It was terrible. Oh, How quite, rude!
0: It's very offensive, but not to her. <laughs> No, to me. I, I was know, listening. How dare? How I mean, dare as always, speak the truth? But I was um, so you drunk. just knock off the top. You can't start cracking bits of shell and taking and peeling them off. It gets in the egg and it gets in the soldiers. It's in the dish. You got to knock the top off. You can have not down to the yolk. I agree. Have a little bit of white on the top. But you ta- get you want me to cut the, through the shell? You just knock it with a teaspoon, and then you're in, and then you go bang. And my mm-hmm. wife is doing what you do, and yes. she's teaching my kids to do it that Correct. way. Correct. I can't believe that you agree with this. I well, was going to say, sit. Who eats sort soft egg? This was going to save my marriage. I don't know if I can say marriage. Well, my I
1: mean, wife. I'm not cutting eggshell to eat my egg. I'm sorry. You, you, you're you're peeling it.
0: But then all the little bits are everywhere.
1: No, no. It depends. I mean, listen. This speaks volumes about your peeling skills.
0: There's bit. Well, when my wife does it, there's bits everywhere. She's taught my kids to do the same. And now, I've, you know, that's a. It's going to go into another generation. It's too late. They've been indoctrinated. There's no way back for me. If and anything,
1: even more, I feel how how is your wife? I just. Well, I
0: do. What I feel, <laughs> I should. If I wasn't so old, I would just forget about this family and go and start another one. And and I would, as we're before we get married, I'd say, "How do you eat your soft boiled eggs?" There you go. And then. And that's all you I would need know, to know because it's it's the worst thing in our marriage.
1: Well, you could do
0: otherwise delightful, beautiful
1: marriage. marriage. Um, my husband doesn't eat anything but scrambled eggs, so it's just not a discussion. It's just like there's no there's no thing about this.
0: At that's, all. Probably, that's probably that's you see a good way through. Yeah, yeah. yeah just it, go out, marry someone who eats eggs in a different way to you, and that
1: there's no then- overlap. I mean, literally Danish and India, we're, we've been going for so long because there's so little overlap. We just keep saying okay, fine, because. You know, there's no vested interest in what they're doing, sure. the other one.
0: Oh, well, that's good. That's good. Let me see if there's anything else. Well, well do listen to the uh, Child Labour Podcast. That is fantastic. Uh, been, you did a Radio 4 show called Stan.
1: Oh, that was, yeah, that was a while ago. That was 2018 yeah. I did that. But I did a Radio show. It's not
0: that long ago. You've only, been, you've only been really going for about two years. No, so no. no. That long ago. Absolutely.
1: But I just did one now uh, called Things My Mother Never Told Me About Lockdown. Oh, yes. Yeah. and that oh, was right. a fun one that was a fun one I it's got Jade Adams Guz Khan Mae Martin and Tom Allen it was super Brilliant. fun to do and it. it was during lockdown yeah
0: yeah so we'll look out for that and you were in May Martin's show
1: yes. which I haven't
0: seen yet it's I so saw a little bit of so, you're, in it, you're in it all the way through, right? You're, there's a couple of.
1: I think towards the end, I'm not and in the episodes with her parents. I'm not, but I'm part of this kind of group that she goes to a group therapy thing. So I'm in that. So yeah, that was super fun because it's such a great script and May's so great and all the actors were so great. I'm always, I I I I can never believe when I've been given an acting role because acting is such a different skill. Oh my god!
0: Also, well, you've done a fair amount of acting, haven't you? So you've been in a film. You've been in uh, yeah.
1: I did. Yeah. I mean, I've had tiny parts in sex education and May's show. um, And, uh, and then I did Deborah Francis White's movie, say my name. I was a cop inspector Raj. Um, Yeah. But I find acting to be so different because, you know, you have to learn lines. So many people are depending on you to get it right. And you just keep on doing takes from from here, from here, from here, from left from right, from behind your head, from front of your head. Whereas in stand-up, it's like, I'm on stage, I'm not funny, I can fuck off back home, end of story. Um, yeah, but it's fascinating to me. And I think with acting, I feel like every time I do it, I think, oh, I'd like to do more. And then when a casting call comes along, I think I can never do this. I'm so bad at this. So it's this kind of weird roller coaster all the time.
0: Yeah, um, it, no. it is, it's, it's It's odd that one leads to the other. And, you know, yeah, again, to that doing stand-up, suddenly you, go, you become like... A, like that—that that, are acting jobs in the frame, which you know happens to a lot of stand-ups. Well, May yeah. Martin's sitcom does have a lot of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Of- yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I think in my case, it's less to do with my acting skills and more to do with the fact that I'm in this kind of special place of being funny and Asian, and not that that's why I was in Martin's show, but um, in Maid's show. But I think a couple of roles like the like the chemist's wife. I yes. you don't see me. I'm just shouting at Mark uh you know from offstage in Hindi the whole time.
0: Okay.
1: It's great. It was one of my career highlights. I mean yeah. he, he's such a great he's such a great comedy actor and I just loved it uh the whole time. So yeah, no, I look man, I I think anything that allows me to exercise any comedy muscle is a gift. It is. It really is a gift for me.
0: Um and you we're, we're gonna wrap up soon because this oh. has gone very quickly. Uh but um you were in. Were you in Cape Town when the when the virus mm-hmm. struck? So you do lots of gigs around the world, don't you? But how how was that to be that far away when that? Yeah, it, it
1: felt a little much. I'd, I I mean, I'd had a very full on year last year with comedy, which I'm very grateful for, but also very full on year personally because my mother had been unwell, and uh, so and then came out of that, and then Christmas, and then went to Cape Town. I I probably didn't enjoy Cape Town as much as I could have because there was this corona thing. Yeah. Um, but I did have a great time. There was a number of comics were there. Fern Brady was there. Stu, Stu Goldsmith was there. A number of comics from other parts of the world were there. Finn Taylor. I had, a, I had a good time, but certainly not as much as I would have otherwise. And I was on the last flight out because right. everyone else was on the next flight and it got delayed by two days because then just the shit started hitting the fan. And then I came back on the 9th, and then I got corona on the 17th, 18th, just very badly. Really? Right. Yeah, yeah, and it was like a tough time. I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, I probably was an 8, where it was like, like, should she go to hospital, should she not, the last four or five days, and that was extremely unpleasant.
0: Right. Uh, But I don't think it's connected
1: to Cape Town. It's just that I think for me, that whole experience is just one block of feeling anxious that then just went into Corona. And I didn't really fully come out of it till the beginning of May.
0: Right. So it was a
1: very long convalescence, but I think I was also convalescing from having been on tour and done this. I mean, I don't know if it's a lot of nights, but I was not expecting this tour to extend and become what it became. Yeah. So all in all, I would say I was quite stressed. And quite, I I was quite run down, and then I got Corona. So it took my body quite some time to pick itself up again.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's the way, especially when you've been touring, it is you know, I, I, when you stop, you immediately get ill. I as mean, coming, you do Edinburgh, you stop, you immediately get ill. You do a tour, you stop, you immediately get ill. So if you get hit by something as serious as that, then I can really see, and I know it's it's a weird disease a virus because it's you know affects people so differently. And some people don't have anything, and they've got it, and don't know they've had it. And some people, you know, I've, I've had a friend who's basically been ill for, you know, three or four months, just on a on that kind of level, that kind of eight level, where he's been into hospital a bit, but not oh. not really. But it's just not, you know, people say, "Oh, you're over it in ten days," but he's literally been no, four or five months, you know, no. So I mean,
1: I think I think for me, it was uh, last year was the tour, and then sex education and May's thing, and then the Teza Clock Show, and then the second Apollo, which was beautiful. To, beautiful that I got it. I think I didn't do great, but thank God they edited it so well. Um, I think hosting it is very scary because you come on cold. Yeah. And I hosted the first show, so that was that was very... And then my last tour date was... And throughout, my mother had been very sick. Then the last tour date was end of November. And then on the 18th of November, my mother had a second stroke. On the 20th, she passed away, which I, I was not expecting because she wasn't that sick you know, she was getting better and she was talking and I mean, she was, we were fine. She was like totally normal. And then she just happened to have this second stroke. So the 20th of November, she passed away. I was supposed to be in a play in December, but I, from then on, I don't really know what was going on. I flew to India. I took, you know, I, I handled all the the logistics I, my father was there. I brought him back home. Then I, then we had Christmas. I said no to the play. I just really wasn't, I, I said yes to the play. Everyone around me was like, no. Uh, and then January came, and I think it just occurred to me that my mother was gone, which you know, my mother is a huge influence, a huge part of my life, and it was very unexpected. Um, and then February, I, I also changed agents <laughs> in November, the week before Mommy passed away, and then, and then by February, my I was starting to really feel run down, and then I went after Cape Town, and then I got Corona. So really, I. I'm not surprised Corona, k- my immune system was made of tears and Kit Kat. Yes. That's absolutely. kind of how I was surviving. Yeah. You know.
0: So, so that's, you know, you were having a bad year even before this year, so. Well, this, I mean, but I was having a great year.
1: great year comedy-wise, and I think that's <laughs> yeah. one of the great mysteries to me is, you know, you can be having a year that's so insane personally, but comedy was just out of control.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it has been, I mean, given that you, like, you know, I know you were starting 2012, but you probably – 2015 is more like the proper start date so 27th entire- of jan
1: 2015 okay, well, i had tonight. a gig
0: and i remember
1: so if- at the end of that gig after what peter said to me he said you have to find a number more than one per week that you're going to gig right because you're not going to make it otherwise you can't just show up and kill and then leave and then not show up for three months yeah because you- yeah and i made it i made a note from the. Next day I started to get in touch with and I said I'm gonna gig twice a week and then I made it four and then I made it five and then I just committed to that and I changed my whole life to suit that. I have three kids yeah and those are late nights yeah and then I was going out of town and you know so
0: yeah and, and then out of the country and yeah, yeah. All so it's, uh, but it's 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 astonishing when you see someone you know some people, especially now it's very hard I think to 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 do that sort of fast track. That, you know, when I in the 90s, it was possible to do a five year plan and you'd get on, you might be on TV at the end of five years, but for you to be in five years and to have got to the level you've got to is, is astonishing. So, do you have like you don't really do you're not really planning where do you want to go to America? Do you want to do I, more acting? Do you want to do more stand up? What's what's the plan when we're back on the road?
1: Uh, I'm I I I, I think my medium term plan is. To this this second show, I'm writing. I mean, stand up is my first love, um, and if you're from Netflix and watching this, that doesn't mean I don't want to act. So please don't think that. I have a second show, and I'm writing it, and I mean, I it's sort of work in progress, and I'd like to take it on tour, which was on the cards, but it's probably got delayed. That's kind of what I want to do, you know. I I there's there's a I have intense gratification from that uh medium of going and doing the show and having an audience and taking these things and talking about them and making people laugh and getting the show you know better and better that's that's the that's the concrete thing i have yeah yeah everything else if it comes great if it doesn't it'll come eventually if it's supposed to
0: sure I think what's interesting, I think you've always had the soul of a stand-up comedian, even before you knew what stand-up yeah. comedy really yeah, was. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 one hundred
0: percent. You've sort of always. But I think that's why you've slipped into it so, you know, seamlessly. Really, I think that's to, to, it's really interesting for me, having seen you at what was a, a, in, an early gig, and just think this is a very, very assured performer. And then to find out that you'd done so little actual performance um I, and that's the only way i can make sense of it that you've been doing jokes your whole life <laughs> i think people, so through different <laughs> different and i've been
1: dying all my whole life with my stammer and my stutter and it's yeah. not chopped me i wake up the yeah. next day and say let's have another go yeah.
0: so that's that's the soul of a comedian so yeah i think there's plenty of time Cindy. i think oh, it's gonna thank be okay you, Richard.
1: I'm, think, I'm so happy yeah, to think, hear you say that I,
0: it's going to be all right and I think you're going to go from strength to strength I'd really like to thank you so much for doing this it's been really uh interesting talking to you it's been and, wonderful uh, to talk to you ladies and gentlemen Sindhu V thank, thank you very you much we're bye. back next week with Maria Konikova at 3 p.m because she's in America so uh she's a psychologist and therapist and poker player it's going to be good you're going to enjoy it bye bye everyone see you next week thanks a lot bye thank you You have been listening to Roller with me, Richard Herring and my guest, Sindhu V. Thank you as always to Pest for providing some music for our closing credits and opening titles. I am also in very much indebted to my friend and director and producer Chris Evans, not that one. I'd like to thank everyone at Acast and Twitch or Amazon Gaming or whatever you're calling yourself this week. And uh, Acast for all your help. And... No executive producer this week. We just felt like it wasn't worth it. And uh, this is a gofasterstripe.com fuzz and sky potato production. Head to gofasterstripe.com slash badges if you want to become a monthly badger. Get backstage interviews and all sorts of lovely extras. Go to rahalastupa.co.uk slash kickstarter to join in with our snooker-based kickstarter. Help us reach that target and help us help live comedy thanks for listening watching and doing whatever else you've been doing my fine friend stop doing that it's not appropriate goodbye